You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Kenneth. And tonight we're looking at two episodes of Star Hunter Redux. Uh, we'll be looking at season two, episodes 19 and 20. That's Negative Energy and License to Ville. And we'll explain why these are being done two at a time uh, when we get to License to Fill. But uh, we'll start with Negative Energy. The Transutopian fails to catch a bounty because they are not fast enough. Also, their bounty is one of the five or six ships in the system with an antimatter drive. The Transutopian also happens to be one of the five or six ships with an antimatter drive, but theirs doesn't exactly work. Marcus pitches the plan of getting some Duranium-237 to use negative energy as a fuel source for the antimatter drive. If they can get the element, he'll do the math. And if it's certain that it'll work, and only if he's certain, they'll give it a try. Why has nobody done this before? They all ask. I don't know, is the most coherent answer Marcus can muster. Rodolfo has a contact of a contact that might be able to help, and they pursue that avenue, meeting up with Karina, who's an old friend of Rodolfo's. She gets her... She gets him in touch with Jay Becker, dealer in questionable materials. Rodolfo sells out Marcus, who Jay has taken a shine to, in exchange for his life and the element. Then he rescues Marcus. Meanwhile... In a lawless solar system full of violent crime, graft, and corruption, there is one thing you must do, and that's fill out paperwork to convert your antimatter drive into an alternate fuel source. Not one you can skip. So Caravaggio fills out the paperwork, which draws the attention of a corrupt permit inspector who tells them if the ship isn't 100% up to standard, it will be impounded and scrapped. Guess what? It's not up to standard, and the inspector is actually a crook who uses his position to obtain antimatter drives for his friends at the orchard. That fails when Travis learns that the permit request never reached the database. With a battle raging aboard the ship and the orchard vessel in hot pursuit, shooting holes in the transutopian, Marcus plugs the negative energy in, and away they go. Really fast, but not as fast as Marcus expected. All's well that ends well. The end. Okay, heat of energy. Go on. I found an extreme problem with the line, how many, hey, Rodolfo, how many ships in the system have uh, antimatter drives? Ooh, five or six. And we're one of them. Five or six ships. We've already seen two or three of the others. Maybe just two. Since I can recall one of one off the top of my head. Well, there's the one in this episode. Right. And then there's the one with a big dangly ball hanging off the end. That's the one I was thinking about. That's the other, so that's two. Um, I I can't swear that we've seen any others, but I know I've seen at least two. So that makes, with the Transutopian, three. Three, yeah. Three of the five or six out there. This uh, <laughs> seems like, I, I don't know. The, the the commodification of the antimatter drive really makes it seem like they're on something incredibly valuable, which they don't use. 
And a lot of people are willing to go to a lot of effort to get one. So I am shocked that this isn't a bigger deal, like all the time. Like somebody's out, space pirates are out to get them all the time for this. It just, ah, it, it just feels wrong. But, and then, you know, there appears to be a lucrative business in this because uh, when, um, when the inspector, uh, Bibbert or whatever his name was. Um, his name no, no, no. is Tibbet. 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 Uh, he seems to have the conversation he has with his contact seems to be, this is a not a one and done kind of thing. It's like, hey, you'll never guess what I got, an antimatter drive. It's more like, I got another antimatter drive for right. you. I mean, maybe that's why there are only five or six left, but you think the pattern would be found anyway so well as i recall that contact thought was saying something like um don't give me other heap of junk yeah. and uh if these things is so sought after why doesn't just somebody make more i mean it's obviously somebody knows how somebody knows how to make them so if they're in demand uh the market seems like it would uh it would it would do that also it seems like for five or six ships, they've got an awful lot of regulations about converting it to alternate energy sources, which I'm still, you know. Actually, I thought that would be just converting it from anything to anything else. Yeah. Well, that's right. Well, I mean, technically, if they're converting it from anything to anything, they're converting it to a, an alternate source. But I, the point is, is that, again, antimatter drive seems to be the kind of thing that maybe you can't convert it's like converting a, a internal combustion engine to solar power you're not so much converting it as you're replacing it right it's yeah. one thing to try to convert i don't know could you try to convert a, a a gas engine for diesel okay i know that probably wouldn't last long because of the way the fuel works but in other words those are at least semi-compatible types of fuel so you might be able to i don't know bore out the pistons make them longer whatever but this just, ah, anyway, it's just, and then of course, well, that's the, that's the one permit in the, in the whole transfederated union that we all agree, man, you got to do the paperwork for that one. They all agree on that. Nothing else they agree on. Absolutely nothing else the federation seem to agree on as far as I can tell so far. But, but this one, absolutely got to do that paperwork. And Car, why didn't you tell us that they would inspect the ship and our ship is 99% junk put together by Percy? I just thought you knew. Wow. <laughs> was, they, they, they were stretching hard to to do anything, right? They could have pulled in for their, their biannual spaceship emissions inspection and go, well, you know, we do have to make sure you haven't tampered with anything. Boom, bing, you're out done everything's tampered with you're gone so and yeah, i don't know they're, they're try obviously they're trying to draw attention to the to the um the hyper hyperspace potential engine so we'll cut them a little slack but uh, uh um, and why was it orchard the orchard is trying to get was it in, into hyperspace actually they have gotten into hyperspace but seriously hyperspace is very interesting to them i i get that but the orchard seems like the kind of people that when I said, why don't they just build a new one? Yeah. Had it seem like the guys that might, I don't know, have money to 
do that in engineering and talent? And I mean, they can blow up planets in other solar systems, but they can make their own antimatter. They got to salvage a crummy one off of a 200-year-old ship with a bolted-on antimatter drive that Rudolfo apparently got 15 years ago because that big ball's always been on the back of the Transutopian. Right. So it's been there for us when Dante was flying around on it. So let's see. I I, I, I did I did get a laugh. Uh, I, I got a huge laugh, though, when they went in, and I realized that even though Percy's not in this episode, she's still screwing things up. Right, it's still Percy's fault that this is that they're going to get this inspection, <laughs> because of all the, <laughs> because of all the nonsense. She's yeah. It's like all right, well, that's that's the writer's tribute to Percy. She's not here, but she's not forgotten. She's still screwing things up. Um, let's see, and I'll also say this while I'm thinking about it because we're kind of on the same thing. We mentioned it maybe last episode, maybe the one before. I don't remember which one. Yeah, it must have been last time. Just politics. The question is, why didn't the Transutopian scoop up some of that Duranium-237 from the Hellstone asteroid? And it's a good question. It's a good question, and they didn't answer it well in this episode. They answered it very, very miserably in this episode. <laughs> but I felt like the writer knew. Is it a different writer? It's the same yes, writer. Yes, it is. Different writer. Yeah, it feels to me like the other writer goes like, I cannot believe you just handed me this assignment that says they got to get this stuff. And in the last episode, you blew up a massive asteroid full of it and you didn't get any. Now, how am I going to? Oh, I know. I'll say if you use energy beams on it, it doesn't work anymore. Okay, then then we can just forget that, that they have beetles that they could fly back there and they could at least grab some chunks and without using energy weapons on them and bring them into the ship and do whatever. But nope, no, we just, I, you know, whatever you do, you'd use an energy beam on it. It's done. So thank you. Thank you, previous writer, for leaving me that. Okay. I'll fix it. There we go. <laughs> and, you know, they do some of that in the next story, too. But we'll. <laughs> well, speaking of that writer, he has mm-hmm. a name, Aitan Arnusi. Doesn't sound familiar to me. No, and I have his IMDb page in front of me. Well, in terms of Star Hunter, has he done any other episodes of this, Star Hunter? This is it. This is it. Okay, that's why I don't recognize it. All right. Has he done anything we would recognize? Um, not that I recognize, but let's see if you recognize anything. He is the writer of a short movie called Crypt from 2017. Mm, nope. He's the writer of a movie called Reverb from 2008. Uh-uh. He is the writer of something called Inju, The Beast in the Shadow, 2008. I haven't even heard of any of these. Now, Crypt maybe, but, you know, that name is so generic, who knows? He he also directed Crypt and Reverb. He wrote uh, Long Time Dead from 2002. It's coming up blank on this guy. He wrote a... He wrote the screenplay for a TV movie called Is Harry on the Boat from 2001. Okay. Uh, he wrote a video game called Burn Colon Cycle from 1994. Oh, nothing nothing worse than you want a burning colon. I mean, hooey. <laughs> yeah, okay. 
And he produced a video game um, called VNC colon Virtual Nightclub from 1997. Virtual <laughs> Nightclub? That actually said amusing. Was this the episode where... No, this was not the episode where where Rudolfo was going on vacation. That's the next one where he That's was the doing next the virtual one. beat. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> well, I don't know. It, that, it's interesting when you have a guy like comes in who's not done any other scripts. And like I say, I really do feel like they left him a poison chalice with the with the duranium. But um duranium. But um I did think it was interesting that he picked up on that previous stuff about modifying people for their sexual perversions. Right. I if anything I would have guessed that he was the writer that had been working on that episode because sometimes that's you know that's how you spot a writer it's like oh he's back to that one again he he had that idea of what the way this universe works and he's going to keep coming back to it because it's his (laughs) like right okay he didn't do that did you recognize tibbet i mean he looked familiar but you know generic sort of stuck up inspector guy uh, I did not specifically recognize him now. Simon Williams. Doesn't recognize the name. Do you remember, remember Remembrance of the Daleks? Uh, yeah. He was Group Captain Gilmore. Tubby Gilmore. Huh. Really? So really? he he does, I think he then must be still doing Big Finish because they were doing uh, adventures with that group. I can't remember what they're called now, but uh, yeah. uh, huh, all right. No, I wouldn't have recognized him. Um, he he definitely has that sort of clipped British, prim and proper officer kind of, or or Mandarin thing. So yeah, all right. According to his IMDb page, Williams is a character actor who works on both sides of the of the Atlantic Ocean. Well, work where you can get it as long exactly. as exactly as long as it's legal. Yep. You know, <clears throat> yeah. I let's see. The only other thing that I have of any mention uh, of this is the, well, two things, the unbelievability of Rudolfo and Karina and Ah, uh, the, yes, Goldilocks and Papa Bear. That, yeah, okay. Um, Not buying that for two and a half seconds. And the whole bit with Callie trying to get Travis to open up to her. I I, That's actually going somewhere. I got no sympathy for her. I, I, I've got no sympathy whatsoever for her. Um, and I like Callie probably best of all the characters. But if you keep hammering on somebody and getting pissy mad when they don't respond the way you want them to, that's a you problem, not a them problem, Right. That's right. Travis is perfectly within his rights. He doesn't want to talk about it. Maybe he doesn't have any deep thoughts. You know, he just, there could be any number of reasons about it. And you, sure, you can be curious. You can ask and you can, you can try to engineer the situation to do it, but you do not have the right, like she does every stinking time to get mad about it. Right. That, that's, that's where it goes. That's where it goes really wrong for me. And (laughs) so. So, I I I lose I I every time she does that I lose a little sympathy for her as a character. Uh, I'm sure, obviously, they're trying to you know this is 
They were trying to manufacture a sort of will they, won't they, not Sam and Diane, but just, or, or sorry, uh, Ross and Rachel for our younger listeners. Uh, and even that's, even still, that's I, probably. I still prefer Sam and Diane. Yeah, well, you're not one of our younger listeners. <laughs> and and honestly, honestly, Ross and Rachel probably doesn't fit younger listeners. No, it doesn't. <laughs> That's just an intermediary old age. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, I, I kind of don't care. <laughs> and she just goes about it so badly that uh, like, take it for what he is. What, what, what is it that she needs? Right. I mean, what, what is she expecting him to tell her? Is it, gosh, I've been meaning to say, I, I really love you. Or is it, eh, you know, I, I had some bad times when I was a kid. I I had to eat rats when I lived with the Raiders and, uh, you know, what? I, I don't know what she's going after. She, I, it's like she's trying to force intimacy with she him is. by knowing Some deep, dark secret. Him. Yeah. It's like, right, he was a Raider. Isn't that bad enough? I mean, yeah. you could get prosecuted in a court of law for that. Oh, wait. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. The director... We have seen his work before. The director is Colin Buxy. Okay. He directed the other episode. He directed seven episodes in this season. The other six were Becoming Shiva, Torment, Painless, Supermax Redux, A Stitch in Time, and The Air in the Spare. Yeah. Contract, uh, contract director on the, yeah. on the series, clearly. Exactly. Um, not uncommon, yeah, not uncommon for a TV series to have about three, maybe four main about, directors per season. Yeah. So that they, they have, you know, they have to film usually one a week or every one, every two weeks. And then the director is given the work of, you know, casting and getting all the, the set designs and all that stuff approved, not, not doing it, but in other words, organizing it, getting it all set with their vision. So they usually have to have a few weeks right. running up to it before it actually goes before. They have pre-production, before production, and post-production. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, they'll get a little post-production of the last one. So, yeah. So this guy's obviously just uh, the uh, one of the house directors. Right. I, w- I will say this. There was one thing that was just sort of yeah, hanging out there, and it's obviously hanging out there for maybe not next time, but, but soon time. Uh, and that was the very awkwardly done, but but goes nowhere in the episode bit about we've traveled out past Neptune, but we didn't. But we didn't get faster than light. Like okay, well, <laughs> there you go. I, obviously, that's perplexing, Marcus. Nobody else cares. It did what they wanted it to do. Exactly, to get us out of there. But Marcus is like, well, it didn't get us out of there the way I thought it was going to get us out there. And, and that doesn't really seem all that strange because, A, he never did the math. Uh, B, he he just jammed negative energy in a slot, basically, and punched up some numbers. So it's not like he really retrofitted the edges in any way. Uh, right. and, uh, and then they, you know, they, they did the thing. Um it just was didn't work quite the way he wanted it to, and the only thing that I can think of is that that's all right. 
I'll I'll go there. I know you can't answer these questions, or you could, but I'm not. You're not going. I'm not going to let you answer these questions. All right. And that is that um, it's it's uh, one. This is part of why nobody's using negative energy to convert antimatter drives, which Marcus did say. I don't know why nobody else has done it. I mean, but it is kind of interesting because what is it that duranium two thirty seven does if it doesn't create high speed spacey crafty? That seems right? to be what so, it does. And yet there aren't any others to do that. But there's a lucrative market for mining this stuff. Okay. Not quite sure where that's going. But uh, the fact that he was trying to flip them over to the orchard still makes me suspicious that there's something, there's an additional factor that we're not seeing. And I'm, I'm almost wondering if it's the presence of Travis on board the ship that caused this to actually work when it shouldn't have. And and that is my my guess, because that would explain why Marcus is, like, confused by the physics of what happened. It's like something, there's another variable here he's not controlling for. And so that's what what's going on. And we know that those guys can do hyperspace uh, on their own if they come unto their own uh, powers. Right. So... Yeah. Um episode twenty one. Right. I mean we're we're down to the wire here. There is really after today after this one that we do today, there really is only one story left. Exactly. So uh we're we're on the line. Do you have anything else? I mean No. Well we we could talk about the disturbing aspects of modifying Marcus to have a bigger um Yeah, I got that. Yeah, but that's not. Yeah. Then I'm wondering what the other modifications she was going to work on were. Mm, yeah. I, I find... How do I put this? When you take a character like uh, Jay... Jay. Jay Beckers. Jay, yeah. Uh, and you make it abundantly clear to the audience that they've got some sexual peccadilloes. And then you go in and you talk about how you can modify people. And we had that bit where they were modifying people to do really strange things. And then they don't tell you what her strange thing is. I mean, the one modification we get, as she says to Marcus, most young men would enjoy doing that as partners. I mean, it's that one is kind of, people want that now. But beyond that, I can't even get into the mind. And I wish they'd given me something, you know, anything. But instead, it leaves you to your own imagination to try to come up with what's the most perverted thing you can think of that they might get their kink off on. And I'm apparently no good at it, right? The, right. I, I'm, I'm envisioning, like, Perpigillium Brown being turned into a bird on Veros. It's like, is, well, is that the kind of thing we're talking about? Are we talking about making them grow feathers because you got a feather kink? Or is it... I? Do you want him to have three arms? I mean, what? How does that? Oh, do you need him to have four feet because you've got a sock fetish and you want him to have four socks on at once? <laughs> you know, I, just, I don't know. It's, I don't know either. Mm. And I don't know if it speaks for them not having the imagination to come up with something to tell us, or whether they're deliberately trying to make unsettle you by having you come up with something and plummet to your deepest, darkest. Most depraved nature. Makes nature. I just haven't got one, apparently. Uh, 
Jay Beckers does. That's what we need to yeah, know, I guess. That's that's apparently where we're going on that one, yeah. Well, then let's turn our attention <laughs> right. to episode twenty. License to fill. Why why did we know before even watching these episodes? Well, not that not before Kenneth has watched these episodes, before I have that we were gonna do them together because license to fill is a flashback episode. And so therefore the synopsis uh, may be even shorter than usual. Although, surprisingly, <laughs> Longer than I thought it was going to be. License to Fill, episode synopsis. Mars loves its red tape. The good crew of the Trans-Utopian are two days late for renewing their bounty hunting license, and even though they're not actually doing any work at the moment, they have people they call clients, and because of that, they're practicing bounty hunting without a license. And that's a serious crime. At least it is in the eyes of Senator Calder, recently appointed head of the people that stamp the documents and collect the fees. He impounds the ship, and in collusion with Senator Scalon, a judge, they set the trans-utopian crew for a hard fall, which will cost them their ship. They can't afford counsel, but help arrives in the form of Senator Rendell, an old family friend of Callie. He suspects Calder is up to something. Rendell will defend him in court, but remember... Martian laws are weird. The trial consists mostly of asking Caravaggio questions. He testifies to many things, including things he did not witness. But remember, Martian law is weird. The evidence against the crew of the Transutopian is that Travis was once a raider. The defense to that, he got better. More evidence is that Rudolfo is a duplicitous jerk. The defense to that is, he eventually comes through in the end. More evidence is that Marcus is a bit headstrong and inexperienced and tries to do more than he's qualified to do. The defense is, he comes through in the end. Finally, the prosecution brings forth a surprise witness, Percy Montana, who testifies uh, that she owns the ship and that she makes bad decisions. The defense is, what's your point? The final piece does seem to be the most damning, which I've said about Percy all along. Luckily, the crew have discovered that Calder is actually buddies with the guy that shot Callie back in episode 4. Case is dismissed, and Rendell promised to go after Senator Scalin, too. It's not all's well that ends well with this episode, though, because Percy is back. The end. Remember my, remember my comment about a writer being handed a poison pill? Yeah, it was just a few minutes ago, yes. Yes, just, just a few moments ago. Now, I don't think this one... I mean, he was kind of handed a poison pill, but I appreciate it when the writer goes out of his way to find an out for all the pedantic, fanish jerks who, this is the dumbest trial I've ever seen. Because what did he do? He set it up beautifully so that we can't say that. He said, Martian law is weird. It's, it's, it's different, but it, it's all about uh, fairness and justice. So, like, what kind of a lawyer kind of a lawyer would actually explain to something our legal system's weird your legal system is your legal system it is it's yeah. weird by whose standard who this is mars whose standard is it weird by <laughs> that's a very question it seems, seems weird by mine that have these senators who are functioning as judges and lawyers a, judge and lawyers prosecution yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's uh, is there a separate? I granted, I don't know what the Martian Constitution looks like in this universe. It's but, probably uh, weird. There's probably no. I don't think there's a separation of branches. 
maybe senator is just everybody on Mars that reaches a certain point is a senator. I don't yeah. know. And, I, and, and I, speaking I, of uh, speaking of planets here, uh, this is what I get for um, taking screen caps. Okay. Uh, I, t- I took a screen capture of the scene in which Calder called the tulip. Uh-huh. And on it, it clearly identifies him as being from the Jupiter Federation. <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, I do speak, but you were speaking of the writer. He, his name was Roger Gartland. Roger Gartland. He was also the story editor. For the series or this episode? The, the season. For the season. Okay. And he was also Well, that a, makes sense. Actually, that a, makes perfect sense, right? Yes. He's the guy that oversees all the parts, so he right. would have the command of all the the clips he wanted to use. Yes. I then I looked up and this is the this is a summary of the rest of his work on this season. He directed Starcrossed. Okay. He he directed Chasing Janus, which was the episode in which Kelly got shot. Yeah. He was the he co wrote the third thing. Okay. And being story editor, it makes sense that he would probably just saw it, got the script, and had, had tried to clean it up. Um, he wrote A Stitch in Time. Okay. He directed Just Politics. Okay. He directed and wrote License to Film. <laughs> I guess I guess technically speaking, that's a, uh, you can count that as, as yeah, writing. Yeah. There is a there is a framing story there, yes. so I'll, I'll cut that. Yeah, and he directed uh, the two part finale hyperspace. Oh, I am looking forward to that. <laughs> I, so the only thing I have here is 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 the you know the 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 clips that they chose. The, the only thing we've got to work on here to talk about, as I can see, is the Martian justice system. I cannot find any. Well, first off, nothing that was presented as a thing was a thing. Oh, Travis was a raider. We did already. Is that a crime? No. Is is actually being a raider a crime? Yes, but being being a former raider is not. Well, okay, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. So if if you're a raider and you're in a raider clan, I mean, is the law you can't be in a raider clan? Or is the law the things raiders do are illegal? It's what they do. For example, Travis killed somebody, and we didn't actually get any more clarification about that. I kind of thought we might. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's like it's being a raider is not a crime. The things Travis did as a raider might be crimes. But none of that is brought forward. We don't know what he did except that one flashback. And... Honestly, how would Caravaggio have testified uh, to that? You called him a point. I meant, I, I made it up about you. Made it up about all this. of this. He's, he's now, not part are, of now, this. Yeah. Now some of it happened on the ship, so I could see that Caravaggio would have a record of it. But how about flashbacks to previous years? Yep. How about something that happened on a bar off the ship? Yep. yep. All of that. Mm-hmm. It was driving me nuts. It's like. He doesn't, he can't have this information. And even if he did, again, these aren't crimes or they don't appear to be crimes. No. And, and, you know, we can, we could poke around a little bit with those, but then that all comes back to one other bigger and all encapsulating thing. What's that? What was the point? What was the crime they were on trial for? Bounty hunting without a license. 
And they weren't even doing anything. They weren't doing anything. And during the time that all of these things happened, they were bounty hunting with a license. Yes. And they are not pertinent to the question of them operating without a license, which we actually saw Travis avoid doing, right? He says, well, tell yes. the clients we'll be, you know, we'll be on their case in a couple of days. I, you know, I don't think, I don't think that they have a leg to stand on, except, of course, Martian law is weird. And but Calder was, is, and Calder is taking revenge. Right, right. But, and, and the judge apparently is, well, in on it, the, and the, the judge, the, who, the judge who speaks. There's another one who just this sits other there. judge, yeah. And then there is the 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 public defender that they were trying to appoint, which they imply that he's honest but stupid, right? But is he really that stupid that he can't come back and go? Sorry, what has this got to do with them operating well? Did you know the, who they needed? They needed somebody to come in and testify that they'd been doing bounty hunting while their license was lapsed. That that's what they needed testimony about, because then they could have gone, hey, we take that very seriously. We're going to not give you a license and we're going to take your ship because that seems totally appropriate uh, be behavior. It it just was like, oh, OK, I I don't get I mean, yes. OK, Travis, a raider, maybe being a raider is a crime, but again, not the crime he's on trial for and got nothing to do with it. As far as I can tell, Rudolfo is a jerk. Okay. That, there's something illegal about that. Not, yeah. Um, somebody got killed while they were doing their work. Yeah, when when Marcus went out to do a bounty hunting thing. That one, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate. That one I could see maybe in this one context. And that is, you guys are licensed bounty hunters. That guy's your engineer. He's not a bounty hunter. You sent him out on a mission. And he kind of screwed it up, but not really, but he kind of screwed it up. And that poor woman got killed, right? That could be considered negligence on Travis's part for sending Marcus out to do the job. And you might make the argument that says, well, these guys are negligent bounty hunters. We shouldn't renew their license. It's not a question of them operating without a license, but it is a question of whether or not we should renew their license. But that was never mentioned. No. It, none of you know, like he's a raider. We shouldn't renew their license. He's a jerk. We shouldn't renew their license. Marcus is an inexperienced buffoon. We shouldn't renew this. None of that. It's just like this is the damning of it. It's like, well, and then he came back and fixed it. So, oh, yeah, all right, fine. Yeah, all's well. It, you know, it, ends justify the means. <laughs> kind of thing. It's very strange. And then when they brought Percy out, yeah, what the heck was that? Well, uh, actually, Percy, the, are, you, are you in charge of the ship? Yeah. Uh, do you do you do stuff bad? Yeah. Oh my God, we got him now. <laughs> it's like, okay. Well, it did, and it did confirm your hypothesis from the previous recording session for the series. Okay. Which one was that? <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure I have several about. It was how Percy. the how the Martian Federation government knew about Percy and where she was. Oh, all right. Okay. <clears throat> they did mention something about it last time. That's right. Well, um, yes. And and you know something? The funny thing is when they said at the end that she said I was in a mental hospital and then afterwards they kind of pretended like, no, no, honestly, tell us where you really were. I'm like, no, I, I think she was really in a mental hospital. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that's not a joke. That's 
she was she was in the padded white cell uh, in a straitjacket and uh, where she belonged. Uh, I think I think no mystery there. <laughs> Hope she got some help while she was. But you know, and and Travis's look. It's like, I mean, yes, Travis's look mirrored my look when Percy came in. It's like, um, but but why would he think that's damning? Evan, oh, Percy's here. We are sunk. <laughs> I don't under. I don't get it. I didn't get it. <laughs> it's yeah. I yeah. this is and this is an episode I can just skip quite happily. I did have a technical question. In in universe. In universe. Okay. <clears throat> uh, when Caravaggio. Watsonian. Okay. When Caravaggio was not testifying. Yes. Did anyone in universe see those clips? I'm not even sure the people in universe saw those clips when he was testifying. I was wondering about that. It's a, he's. To, I think he's just recounting what was happening, right. and there, and then, I mean, they should have set up a like a screen, like they did in in the menagerie. Right here, uh, let's watch this stuff. Yeah, and Caravaggio projects it on the screen, but they didn't do that. No. So I was confused about what's going on in the, in the universe. And I also made a note here that we have a situation like in Arena from, uh-huh. from classic Star Trek where uh, Kirk and the Gordon Captain were fighting it out on the planet and Spock and crew were watching it on the Enterprise bridge and, make, make, and making comments. Uh-huh. And it didn't work in Arena and uh-huh. it doesn't very, work here. Very rarely, yes. <clears throat> I, this one, it was more like most of the instances where they will cut back to the crew on the Transutopian was, oh, Rudolfo did bad things. Everyone look at Rudolfo. Rudolfo looks sheepish. Right. Oh, Marcus did bad things. Everyone look at Marcus. Marcus looks sheepish. <laughs> yeah. It was, I think, I think that there is, uh, there's a production issue for this. Right, we only get Percy and uh, Travis in the courtroom, and then the rest of the crew stay on the ship. Well, I'm guessing that is a time, energy, uh, money saving technique. Yeah, people are this. People are um, probably overrunning over budget. They knew they had the two episode finale to go. Yep, it's time to come in under budget. Yep, I I think that's probably the way it the way it rolled out. But it was just, again, <laughs> you've got people in court and they they quiz the AI. They quiz the AI about things the AI didn't see. Yeah. And I know Martian law is weird. So we can, all day long, we can say, well, that's not how Martian law works. But if you wanted to say, prove that Travis Montana was a raider, wouldn't you put Travis Montana on the span, a stand yeah. under oath and ask him, if he was a raider. <laughs> yeah. This episode strikes me as one that had a, shall we say, a shortened shoot, um, schedule for shooting. It yeah. Just, yeah. Come in. Glad we have two days. We don't need you after that. You, 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 you could take the next few days off. Be back on Monday morning. Yeah. Yeah. Although I, I do kind of, I, the one thing I do kind of question, I don't recall there being any mention of it in this episode. But the one thing I do kind of question is the fact that they want to impound the ship, an extension of what happened last time. 
No, but yes. this is another group of people who want that antimatter yeah. engine. Uh, but I didn't see any evidence of that, and I didn't see any tie to the orchard in this episode. There isn't, so, and there, there isn't a tie to the orchard that I can see here. It's uh, okay. Calder having a having yeah, he's a just grudge. out for revenge. Yeah, yeah, o- o- over over chasing Janus. Yeah, and I think we should have known that when they didn't uh, they didn't bring up any of Callie's uh... exactly, and and the, he was and John Vine, the actor who played Calder, was 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 telegraphing his bad intentions. Well, honestly, when you come to the second scene and he stands with a judge and basically says, "We're going to screw these guys over," uh, you're you're not playing it subtle. To exactly. The audience. <laughs> exactly. By the way, John Vine, who played Vidal Calder, mm-hmm. was in one of the was in a movie that people either love or hate, The Keep. <laughs> the Keep. I have not seen The Keep. Mike, uh, if if director Michael Mann has his way, you never will. <laughs> he doesn't like it, huh? It's not on home video. It's not streaming. Uh, he made it back in 1983. I remember it from cable television years ago. And I've, it, I've heard the name of it, but I I haven't. You know, there were so many films at that right. age that you know I miss. Humanoids yeah. from the Deep. And... Right. What? Well, what? Well, and, and if you if you know where to look on the internet, you may find some kind of bootleg copy. Uh, uh, but it is um, set in um, Eastern Europe. I think it's Romania during World oh. War during World War Two. Is this the vampire thing? It's the vampire thing where the walls on the inside are thicker than the walls on the outside. As it's I the have keep, seen this. It's to keep it. It's to keep the thing in. Yeah, I, I, I okay. have seen that. Yeah. Okay, it was bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And okay. Nancy Polk, who played, is he get this right? Nancy Polk played Judge Scalon, and Jeff Seymour played. Morgan Rendell, they are they're Canadian character actors. I uh-huh. noticed that um, sh- shortly after they filmed this episode, they filmed a uh, one of my favorite co- productions together, H two O from two thousand four, starring Paul Gross. Uh, well, uh, you know they've only got the twenty five thirty actors right. that uh, that they're up there, population wise, population wise, right? You know they're. There's not that many people up there. Well, about a tenth of the U.S. population, and ninety percent of them live inside an hour's drive of the U.S. border. Yeah, and you know, I a lot of the a lot of the people working in films up there are from down here. Yeah, you know, they they've the the behind the scenes people are Canadian, and a lot of the front of the scenes people are brought up from here. For I, I don't know why. I mean. Yes, Canadians do have a slightly different accent, but it's not. It's not enough that it should be turning American viewers off, you know? Like, right. I, 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 I listen to those people, but... So, yeah. All right. Well, I don't know that I got anything else on this one. Um, I was probably more on license to fill than I ever needed to have anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it kind of it is. I did thought it was interesting. This is just bizarre, be trying to find something. That Calder was in charge of the Department of Events and Dispensations, which I thought. Yes, that was a weird name. I didn't write it down. And who, I... who, who gives that kind of name to a government office? Well, one that's run by a senator, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, oh, there is one thing. I oh. there is one thing. 
the crew of the Trans Utopian has been, until recently, yeah. the provider of choice for the, for the Martian Federation. Guess what changed that? I'm guessing it's the thing with the air and the spare. Just politics. Oh, just politics would have done that. Yes, okay, that would have done it too. That was Mars as well. That's right. I was thinking the air and the spare, it was the Martian that wanted the bounty brought in and they didn't do it. But yeah, just politics probably would have done that as well. So uh, actually probably would have been a more logical reason to use that as the excuse for bringing these guys before court on Mars. That would have been a better, would have been a better episode. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, there we go. Um, but no, the, the, the point I was going to make about that is if they were the provider of choice, and this is a lawless galaxy that needs bounty hunter all the time, you'd think they would have been flush with jobs. Yeah. and like unless, the, unless Mars yeah. doesn't do bounty hunting much. So That line yeah. struck me as odd. Yeah. I mean, next time, I'm excited. I, first time I can say this in a very, very long time. <laughs> Hyperspace 1 and 2, the final two episodes of Star Hunter Redux, where it's all going to come together. All the answers we ever wanted are all going to be tied up in a neat bow. Everything for the last two years is just going to suddenly make sense. That's that's what I've been, you know, uh, that's what I've been promised. So <laughs> that's what I'm counting on. We'll talk about that in due time. Uh, yes, indeed. Kenneth, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash Fusion Patrol or patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at FusionPatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at SoundCloud.com slash FusionPatrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, we'll look at George Powell's 1951 end-of-the-world film, When Worlds Collide. They really wouldn't blow up the Earth, would they? Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.